Please be seated. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, as we begin this morning our study of the Lord's Prayer, uh, we're going to take it in three parts. I'll begin uh, this morning, obviously, with part one, which will cover the first half. Uh, next Sunday is our missions conference, so we'll, we'll take a break from it. Uh, and then on the 10th and 17th, we'll take the second half of the prayer in two parts. Uh, not because I think the second half is more important than the first. In fact, I'm going to argue that uh, perhaps the first part is more important than the second, or at least there are priorities given. Uh, there's, a, there's an order of importance in this prayer. Uh, I think uh, Jesus is using this somewhat of as a mirror to the Ten Commandments. There's the first, table, the first table of the law, loving God, the second table of the law, loving our neighbor, which includes ourself, uh, and that's really the ordering, I think, also of the, ten, of, the, uh, of the Lord's Prayer here. Or we could condense it down, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself, which of course includes uh, ourselves there. Part one, we're dealing with the first three petitions, uh, and we'll look at them in detail. Uh, Luke chapter 11 gives us a little bit of more of the context, perhaps for the Matthew passage. I'm, I tend to think these are two separate uh, askings of the disciples of Jesus, but they come up to him and say, teacher, master, teach us how to pray. This was not an unusual question. Rabbis were often asked by their disciples, tell teach us how to pray. What do we do when we pray to God? So this was a very normal situation here that the disciples were asking. And so Jesus then lays out this wonderful prayer. Yes, it's a prayer that we can pray specifically in the words that are given, but I think maybe the better way to think of it, it is, it's a template for our prayers, that these petitions are headings, and it's as if we sort of insert our information underneath these headings, and it keeps our priorities straight, as I want to argue for us uh, this morning. With all that in mind, let me read for us Matthew 6, uh, beginning in verse 9. I'm going to read the, the full prayer. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil." For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for this prayer, Lord, that we would use it in our lives. We would focus on the words we are praying to you, our Father. We are asking you to bless not just us individually, but us collectively. Lord, we would be taught and instructed by this prayer. We would see your priorities, and they would become our own. And Lord, we thank you for this word to us now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I heard a pastor tell the story one time of a, a, a woman named Marie. She was a school teacher in New Jersey. Now, one day, while she was teaching her class at school, she got a phone call, a phone call letting her know by, by her next-door neighbor, letting her know that her house was on fire. And so she rushed home in a panic. Her concern, however, was not for her husband. 
or for her mother who had recently moved into the, the house. She knew that both of them were safe. She was gripped with panic so that she could run home and save her most prized possession. What do you think that was? Well, it was not a family member. It was not a pet. It was not a keepsake. It was not a piece of jewelry. Her most prized possession that she owned was a binder that contained her season tickets to the Philadelphia Phillies. Consumed with the desire to save these tickets, she runs back into her home, ignoring the fire that had at that point almost consumed the house. She ignored also her certificate of fire insurance that was laying there on the kitchen table. And she grabbed the binder and got out of the house just in time. The Philadelphia Phillies organization heard about this woman and what had happened, and they surprised her the next week at school with the Philly fanatic mascot, very appropriately named, right? Jim Jackson, who was at that time the announcer for the Phillies, and they had sort of a pep rally at school that day to surprise her with a Phillies jersey and a framed uh, season ticket. And then Jackson turns to the crowd and gives some very helpful advice. If you have season tickets and your house is on fire, please do not run back in the house and grab them. The Phillies will reprint your tickets. Maybe some misplaced priorities from this woman. She loved her Phillies. She loved going and seeing them, but maybe not at the time the best thing to do. (laughs) Maybe some misordered or misplaced priorities in her life. We have them as well. And what this prayer that the Lord teaches us is to orient our priorities to His priorities, to love the things in the order that He loves. Jesus' disciples want to be taught how to pray, and so should we. The Lord's Prayer gives us a template for that praying, and it orders our priorities, as I have said. It tells us the things that mean most to God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and He wants them to mean the most to us. Jesus had told each of his 12 disciples, follow me, and he meant it literally. (laughs) He invited them into school, as it were, and this is not a school that had a building and a desk and a dry erase board. This was a school, Jesus was what's called a peripatetic rabbi, which means he walked around. And as he walked around and his disciples followed behind him, that was school for them. He got to watch them He got to watch Jesus heal. He got to watch Jesus speak to people. They got to have lunch with him and ask him questions. It was sort of an immersion into this idea of ministry. When Jesus called his disciples, it wasn't just do what I say, literally follow me around and live life with me and listen closely as I teach you. And then one day, no doubt amongst the thousands of questions that Jesus' disciples had asked him in those three years, they asked him, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? It's an interesting question, isn't it? J.I. Packer gives a a thought about that question. He says, why did they ask him this? It's because they saw the link between Jesus' extraordinary prayer life and his power, his teaching, his character, and his whole person. They must have noticed that after ministering to large crowds of people, Jesus often would withdraw by himself. He must have felt drained from that ministry. And during such time, Jesus would not simply withdraw for a half hour or so. Rather, he would go apart for long periods. And when he did, he usually spent much of that time in intense seasons of prayer. We know the intensity of his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed with such stress and fervency that his sweat was like great drops of blood. We know that before he selected his disciples and called them to follow after him, he spent the entire night alone in prayer. 
The disciples could not help but notice this commitment. They saw the intimacy Jesus had with the Father and made the connection between His prayer and His power, and they wanted to know how to do the same. Rabbis taught their students how to pray. As I mentioned, this was a normal situation here. And Jesus gives a template. Much, it's, many of you have told me that since I mentioned Luther's book, A Simple Way to Pray, you've gone out and purchased the book, and you see how he does it. He uses the petitions as headings, and then he offers his prayers underneath or fitted to those headings. And that's how we ought to use it. Because prayer is for our benefit. You're not benefiting God by your prayers. It's a blessing of that relationship that you have, but it's, it's not for His sake. It grows our faith. It allows us to unburden ourselves at the throne of grace. It's a reflection of our relationship. It's a remembering that He delights to hear from His children. It's a reflection of our need. It's an acknowledgement of His sovereignty in all things. So two main things I want us to see from this text. The second point will be much longer because we'll go through each of the petitions. But first, let's, let's get straight the priorities of the prayer. So number one is priorities. You know this, but maybe a reminder. Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He is not ignorant of your needs. He's not ignorant of your wants. He's not ignorant so that we ought to instruct Him. He's not hesitant that we need to persuade Him or that we need to pry His blessings away from His hands. No, He is our Father. He loves His children, and He knows our needs. He is omniscient, which means He knows everything, everything that has ever happened or will happen, including everything that you will ever do and everything that you will ever think and everything that you will ever desire. If that's true, and it is, then, Dr., then Doug Kelly's question that he asked with the title of his book on prayer, which is very good, if God, if God already knows, why pray? <laughs> Have you ever thought that before? If God already knows everything I want and need, why, does it mean, why, does I, why do I need to then go and ask for that? Well, John Calvin, uh, Dr. Kelly quotes John Calvin in his book, and Calvin gives us a great answer. He says this, Believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to Him or of exciting Him to do His duty, or of urging Him as though He were reluctant. On the contrary, they pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek Him, that they may exercise their faith in meditating on His promises, that they may keep themselves from their anxieties by pouring them into His bosom, that they may declare that from Him alone they hope and expect, both for themselves and for others, all good things. By our praying, we are instructing ourselves more than we are Him. We, we really could say, and that's the end of the service this morning. We can all go, very, go away very blessed. <laughs> that's a wonderful summary. It's not for the sake of instructing our God. It's for you and me. <laughs> we need prayer. You need it for your growth. You need it for your intimate communion with Him. You need it so that you might unburden yourselves. You need it to remind yourself that He is indeed control of these things and able to work in them. We need it so that we can tell Him and confess to Him how much we love Him and how great He is. This is a model prayer. Jesus gives us six petitions in two parts. He begins with the introduction, as we said in our, um, in our affirmation of faith, our Father in heaven. We'll come back to that. 
But the first petition, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These are Godward-focused petitions, aren't they? It's the top half. The bottom half focuses on our needs. And notice it's not give me my daily bread, give me a deliverance from sin, it's give us. There's a corporate nature, our Father and give us things. Give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a model prayer. It's easily memorized, it's easily used as an outline, and it gives a clear definition of God's priorities. He's not just telling us how to pray, though that certainly is part of it. He's telling us, Jesus, what's important to Him and what He wants to be important to us. Unfortunately, this is often how we think of the Lord's Prayer, if we're honest. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now let's talk about my daily bread. Okay, I I know that's true of you, God, but let's really talk about the daily bread, (laughs) and the provision, and the things that I need. Let's get down to the bottom half of the things that I can sort of get my hands on a bit better than the stuff in the top. There's a natural tendency to to skip past it, to say it with conviction, but to say it also not really understanding what it is we're saying. And yet Jesus' top priorities for us are found in the top half, not the bottom. I don't mean to suggest that the bottom half is not important, What I do mean to suggest is that it's of secondary importance. Just as Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, the most important commandment, and the second one is like it, related to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus orders this rightly. We talk very often about how our Christian faith is a comfort to us, and it is a comfort to us. It gives us an identity that we find in other things we need to find it in Christ. We are thankful unto the Lord for the blessings that He has bestowed upon us. All right, all good. But when's the last time you heard someone on television claim to be a Christian because He's the Lord and Creator of all? He is my Heavenly Father. I owe Him all of who I am. I want to see His will done and not mine. I want His kingdom to grow. I don't care about my kingdom or the country necessarily that I live in. I want His name to be great. That's often, we often forget about that part as we skip down to the second part. Jesus wants our priorities to be reflected in the prayer that He offers. So secondly, it's the petitions themselves. Now that we see that there is a reasoning behind the, different, uh, the order of the prayer given, Now let's look at the individual petitions. The first is the opening of the prayer, our Father in heaven. Jesus helps us identify the one to whom we are praying. He is our Father. He makes clear that the single most important influence on the way we pray is understanding the one to whom we pray. How we think about God is important to how we pray and to how we live. This is precisely what Jesus is sort of uh, getting on to the Pharisees and the pagans in the previous section that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. They didn't think of God as Father at all. It's because they didn't know God as Father. You see, the Pharisees weren't praying to a, a heavenly Father. They were praying so that others would say, wow, 
What a great prayer he prayed. And they received their reward, which was what? The acclaim of the people that were hearing them pray. The pagans did what? They, they used all, they saw, thought of prayer as a magic formula. If I say the words right in the right order, and if I really, really mean it when I say it, then I get what I want. That's not thinking of God as Father at all, is it? There's a paradox here, of course. As Christians, we, we know that we're sinners, and sometimes because of that, we want to hide. We, we maybe sheepishly come to Christ and, and come to the Father asking for things and praying these prayers. Yes, it, it is good to remind ourselves that we are sinners, but we need to also remind ourselves we've been adopted into His family, and He loves us. And this is only by the power of the Holy Spirit. We were children of wrath, and now we are children by grace. Only because of the Holy Spirit can we say, as Paul encourages us to say in Romans 8, Abba, Father, because we're adopted. In telling us to address God as our Father in heaven, the concern of Jesus is not teaching us correct etiquette here. He's teaching us the relationship with which we come. And when we do this, it, cha- it changes the way we think about this time of prayer. At least it should. Yes, He is God. He is holy. He's also my Father and our Father. Here Jesus emphasizes that God and His glory ought to be first in our prayers. And we are to say when we pray, our Father in heaven. It is true that He is your Father, so it's right to say my Father in heaven, but that's not what Jesus says. It's to think of this as a corporate collective prayer, even when you're saying it by yourself. He is our Father in heaven. He doesn't belong to you. He doesn't belong to me. He belongs to us. Not that we own Him, but that He is our Father because of what Christ has done for us. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus speaks of Him as my Father, and now He gives that title for us, doesn't He? He's our Father. Now, there's a whole uh, rabbit trail uh, turnoff we could go for the sermon right now that would absolutely be beneficial to us, but we don't have time for it. It's this whole idea that I can say Father now because of Jesus. This whole, I'm united to Christ, He is my elder brother, we are now a part of this family because of what Christ has done. That's all true, but that takes us down a side street, okay? So let's stay on the main path here. Just thought I would mention it because it is absolutely connected to this text. Jesus also adds, for some balance, I think, our Father in heaven. It's to show the closeness, but also to show the transcendence. The he is near to you, but don't forget, He is holy, holy, holy. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is the, creature, the, uh, the Creator, and you are the creature, lest we forget that. The Apostles' Creed saying, He is God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. So, this sort of, he, He's big and out there and holy and different from us, but also close and intimate with us in thinking of Him as Father. Jesus is stressing here the greatness of of His heavenly Father become now our heavenly Father. That's an important point. It's it's a point that we tried to stress in in the series that we did on worship. That when you come into these doors, you are here for your heart and soul. You are being nourished as an individual. 
but you are also here for the sake of other people. Your voice is an encouragement to the people that's sitting behind you. Your presence in worship is for others and not just yourself. When you pray, even if it's in the quiet of your own bedroom, our Father in heaven, you're doing it joining your voices with people all over the world uttering the same prayer. It's not just your Father, it's our Father. We're, we're worshiping Him together. I know we don't all know each other really well in this room, but we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a family. You think of your nuclear family as a family, but we are a family. Why? Because we have the same Father, because we've been adopted into this. So when we think of Westminster, we are, we're the family of God praying to the same Heavenly Father. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? We are never alone. We're always taught to think of Him as our. We are bound together in Christ. As Jesus gives that great imagery, I am the vine and you are the branches. There's a connectivity we all have to Christ, and since we're connected to Him, we're also connected to one another. We are a, part, we are a living stone in a building, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. God did not adopt you into His family to make you to be a Christian out doing it all by yourself, out there alone. I, I can do this with my Bible and a pen and a sunrise. Like we can, I can do this on my own. No, you cannot. You need to do it with one another. You need to do it with a church body. And Jesus is pointing to that, the familial relationship with the Father, but also the connectedness we have with each other. And we lose this. We can forget this, can't we? Secondly, hallowed be thy name. Maybe you've heard the story, one little girl one evening, her mother was putting her to bed, and they were saying their bedtime prayers, and the little girl began to pray, Dear Harold, please bless my mom and dad and all my friends. Her mother stopped her and said, Harold? Well, that's God's name, the little girl answered. Well, who told you that that's God's name? And she said, well, I learned it in Sunday school. What do you mean? What well, says, our Father who art in heaven, Harold be thy name? Not quite. Hallowed be thy name. Okay. So when we pray, hallowed, not Harold, hallowed be thy name, what are we asking for exactly? Well, we're asking, Lord, would you remind us to give the appropriate reverence and awe that is due to you? Would you remind us that in our worship and in our praying, to do it with respect and worship? May your name or reputation, who you are and what you have done, be thought of and acknowledged as holy, as one commentator said. I thought that was a helpful way to define it. It's not saying we add to the holiness of God or His name. We're asking, Lord, that more people would see that as true, that we know it's true. Would, would more and more people acknowledge that and worship you? Holy be your name. We want more to see it. Do we regard His name as holy? You know, something that really kind of popped out when we read Old Testament stories, they, they know the, the uniqueness of being in the presence of God. They fall down on their face or they take off their shoes because they're walking on holy ground because the Father is present. They, have a, they had something of a reverence that we lack at times. And yet us, 
we have a boldness and a confidence before God that the Old Testament believers did not recognize and did not enjoy. And so our tendency is to swing too far the other way, to come in a nonchalant manner to prayer or to worship. No, holy is His name. Holy is His name. Just because for us we don't worship in a synagogue or a temple or, or a tabernacle, we can worship as I did in college in a candy factory. And we set up chairs. Maybe some of you worshiped in a, in a YMCA or, or the early church worshiped in the Roman catacombs or, or our, our uh, brothers and sisters around the world having to worship in churches or having to worship in secret in unknown places. We can still worship His holy name in places such as that. Church is meant to be special. It's meant to take us from common to uncommon. It's meant to take us from secular places to sacred places. And when we think of His name, that's where it should take us. When Jesus' disciples asked how they should pray, Jesus tells them first, hallow His name. Regard Him as holy. This means that God is different. This experience, even this time of prayer, as, as normal as it feels because He's your heavenly Father, something very, very unique is happening. He's loving you and caring for you in unique ways. And so when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're asking God to do something for us. We're asking God to do something for Himself, in fact. Father, would you glorify yourself in and through this, whatever this happens to be. You may be telling God, as you have before, I don't know exactly what to pray for. I'm not, I'm not so sure what your will would be in this situation. I know I'm kind of at the end of myself here. I don't know what to pray for. I, I'm not sure what you would want. But, O oh Lord, in and through this, would you glorify yourself? Would you let it, there to be no uh, doubt that it's your name that is great in this situation? Glorify your name in this trial. Glorify your name, O Lord, in the midst of the tears that I'm crying. Glorify yourself in the midst of the perplexity of what I'm going through. Glorify your name, Lord. And that it wouldn't just be us, that your name would be great all over the world and in every place and wherever this is prayed. Because one day every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, the name that is above all names, the name of Christ, will be hallowed and worshipped just as it is in heaven now, perfectly. Psalm chapter 20 has one of the great lines in the Psalter, in my opinion, one of the, one of the Psalms of David, where David says, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, David, as he's praying this, is praying from one perspective, and we, as we consider that psalm, are praying from a different perspective. David is praying on the brink of a battle yet fought. Lord, some people trust in, in, in the soldiers and in the weaponry and all that. We don't. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. We are able to reflect on that great battle once it's won. We're not hoping it to be won. It is already won. So we don't trust in ourselves, we trust in the great name of the Lord our God who went to the cross and died for our sins. 
Lastly, it's thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not going to spend much time on this petition, and the reason is I preached a whole sermon on this back in August. It was a part of our vision series, and the last sermon in that series was on this petition. So I'm going to mention a few things, but, but maybe for a fuller handling of it, um, you could go back and listen to that sermon. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's one of those lines that really sounds great. It's, it's, yes, absolutely, that's a battle cry kind of phrase until we really start to unpack what that means for us. It's still great, but its difficulty is exposed. Thy kingdom come means my kingdom doesn't come. Thy will be done means my will probably won't be done, or certainly won't be done in the ways that I wish it would or hoped that it would. It's a posture of complete submission to the Lord. I want your kingdom. I want the people that love you and follow you. I want that number to grow and grow and grow. And I want your will to be done, O Lord, even if that means mine isn't. I'm submitting myself to you, God. He's not talking here about God's secret will. Deuteronomy 29, 29, uh, 29, 29 differentiates between the secret will of God that happens all the time and His revealed will that He, does, that he gives us in His Word. That's, that's what He wants to see happen more and more, the will of His Word. It is good and pleasing and perfect, the will of our Heavenly Father. He knows best. And yet, is it good and pleasing and perfect to you? Do you love it? Do you really want to see His will done? Or do you often pursue your own? To pray this prayer, again, is to pray the priorities of Jesus. These are tools for discipline. These these help us in this Christian life. Because if we're not careful... If we're not directed in our prayers, what happens when we begin to pray? Our prayers can really just be our worrying out loud. And before too long, it's not praying that we're really doing it all. We're just determining how we're going to fix our problems. We need Jesus to give us priorities, don't we? Prayer can build our faith or it can reconfirm our doubts and our anxieties. Here's the hang-up. We assume, don't we, that this life is all about our glory and our will and our comfort and the hopes that we have realized. If we assume this, then we're not going to pray in the way that Jesus instructs us to. But, and we need God's help and grace to do this, if we begin to pray His priorities, then we will receive the desires of our heart. Because the desires of our heart will have been changed to the things that God loves and that what He wants. Jesus orders these priorities. I hope we'll take them seriously. I hope we'll apply them to our times of prayer. I hope we'll desire to see everything according to God's will happens in heaven all the time. No one would ever dare to seek their own will. And Jesus is saying, we want that to happen here. We want the stuff of heaven, the worship of heaven, the intimacy of relationships of heaven, the doing of the Father's will of heaven to be the reality of earth. And that's not going to perfectly happen until Christ returns. So the ending point of this first half of this prayer is, Lord, would you return? Would you make all things new as you've promised? 
So as we take this Lord's Prayer, let me, we're going to pray it together in just a moment. But if we were to take the prayer as Luther suggests that we do, with headings and then putting information in underneath it, here's what we might say. Our Father in heaven, and then we might pray this way. O oh Lord, would you remind me that I'm your child? You adopted me by your grace. You made me your own. I now have all the rights and privileges of being a child of God, which includes praying with boldness and confidence to you. Remind me, O oh Lord, that you're not just my Father, but you're our Father, and pray as well on behalf of others. Hallowed be thy name. We might pray this way. Father, it's our great desire that your name would be feared and revered for who you are, our God and our Creator, the Holy One. You are merciful. You gave, because you loved us, your only Son, to save us from the wrath due to our sin. Would you let us call upon the name of the Lord for salvation, for there's no other name whereby we can be saved. Would you allow us to see you as holy and to pursue holiness by your grace? Allow not only us, but the whole world to see and regard you as our holy God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Here's how we might pray this petition. We know that Jesus is reigning right now with authority over all things, and yet, in our experience, we see so much brokenness and sadness on this earth. Father, would you bring your kingdom to bear in a greater measure today? Would you help it to grow and expand? And that that would begin in my own heart, pouring out into my home, into my community, into my nation, and to the very ends of the earth. Would you help us to seek the growth of your kingdom and the accomplishment of your will, even if that means my will is not done, and that I would see your will as good and pleasing and perfect, and that your will would be done in our lives and in this church, all for your glory. O oh Lord, we want the earth to be now as heaven is at all times. We're praying that you would return and make it so. And we rejoice that we can pray all these things in the name of and because of and for the sake of Christ our Savior. That's one way we could do this Lord's Prayer. Typically, the way I end sermons, I tell you, let's pray, and you bow your heads, and I begin to pray. Let's do it differently this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand. We are going to say the Lord's Prayer together. So I'm going to start in just a moment. I know you know this, okay? It's there in your brain somewhere, and you'll pull it out. Okay, we're going to do the Lord's Prayer together, and then I'll pronounce the benediction, and we'll do the doxology. We'll end all the same. But let's say the Lord's Prayer uh, together now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Receive now the Lord's benediction. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thank you for listening. For the sermon archive, go to wpcjc.org forward slash resources forward slash sermon hyphen archive. Scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, the Holy Bible, English Standard Version, copyright 2001 by Crossway, a publishing ministry of Good News Publishers.
Used by permission, all rights reserved. ESV text may not be quoted in any publication made available to the public by a Creative Commons license. ESV may not be translated in whole or in part into any other language. Verbal credit must also be given to the ESV.